Etymology. Apple One. Welcome to Knickknack News. I'm Alex. And I'm Anthony. And my first story is food news. This is from Quartz. Heinz grew Martian tomatoes that are good enough for ketchup. What? <laughs> yeah. I want to know what a Martian tomato I will, is. I will explain. Okay. Uh, so on Monday, the food company unveiled a ketchup made of tomatoes grown in the kind of soil you'd find on Mars. Uh, the experiment was conceptualized by Heinz's tomato masters. <laughs> seven, <laughs> seven experts on ketchup tomatoes. Uh, about two years ago, uh, this is a team of 14 astrobiologists who worked for nine months at a lab called the Red House at the Aldrin Space Institute uh, in Florida, at Florida Tech, growing tomatoes in a simulated environment with temperatures and water conditions similar to Mars. Uh, they said the tomatoes had the, quote, exacting qualities that passed the rigorous quality and taste standards to become its iconic ketchup. Um, so that's what the company said is that they catch these tomatoes are good enough for Heinz and they potentially could grow on Mars in the right conditions. Cool. <laughs> um, so this article pointed out that Mars is uh, 50 degrees Celsius colder than earth on average. And the air is mostly carbon dioxide. Uh, the sunlight's intensity is less than half of earth's and the gravitational pull is a third of it. Um, as if that wasn't enough, the soil lacks nutrients uh, present on Earth, but and then also contains chemicals called perchlorates, which would have to be chemically removed for the plants to grow there because they're toxic. <laughs> <laughs> um, so scientists have found that artificial light sources coupled with fertilizing the soil and leaching out the toxins can make for a fertile environment. Um, which is what they did in this particular study. But in some shorter studies that have already seen success, um, they have grown quinoa, peas, arugula, barley, onions, and more in Martian nice. soil in a few months. So it seems like a wide variety of crops. They even said yeah. they, they grew kale, and they it reportedly tasted better than regular kale. So I don't know how you quantify that yeah, specifically. I, yeah, I'm not... Maybe like bitterness level. Yeah, I guess. But you still can't quantify it. It's probably subjective. Right. So, but that's what okay, they, that's what they cool. said. Martian kale. You heard it here first. <laughs> well, not here first, but you heard it from us that it is better than regular earth yeah. kale. Um, but yeah, ultimately the aim is to figure out a reliable system of agriculture on Mars. And uh, yeah, so the good news is, is on Mars we will have Heinz ketchup. And by we, I mean whoever ends up on Mars, because I'm and, definitely not going. Yeah, I'm probably not going either. But, like, ketchup is so important for it daily is. life for yeah. humans yeah. because it adds flavor mm-hmm. to your life. Right. And that's important. Yeah, think how much happier Matt Damon would have been in The Martian if he had some ketchup for I all know, those potatoes. for all those potatoes? Yeah. Some Martian so much ketchup. Better. Yeah. Okay, my first story is animal news. <laughs> This is from sciencealert.com, and I'm kind of laughing a little bit, but I'm also personally terrified by this story. Um, (laughs) Headline is, millions of giant spiders have invaded Georgia. Will they spread to the rest of the U.S.? (laughs) Question mark. Um, Hopefully not. (laughs) Hopefully not, but maybe they will. So apparently there is an invasive species of spider 
from Asia that has like gotten to Georgia somehow. And they think it was, it came over like, I don't know, inside a shipping container or something like that happened. Sure. Um, there's now millions of them there. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> like there's so many that it's noticeable for the residents because they're these like huge yellow spiders. They're orb weavers. Okay. Um, this article says porches, power lines, mailboxes, and vegetable patches across more than 25 counties in the state of Georgia have been draped with dense wheel-shaped webs of the bright yellow Joro spider. The webs can be as thick as 10 feet deep. Like, they're huge. Oh, my God. Yeah, I know. Um, the first known sighting of one of these... Um, was about 80 miles northeast of Atlanta in 2014. But since then, the spider's population and range have expanded steadily across the state. Uh, They're slowly taking over the country. Yeah. <laughs> Will Hudson, an entomologist at the University of Georgia, said his porch became unusable this year after being covered by a blanket of webs 10 feet deep, he noted. Uh -huh. And he claims to have killed more than 300 spiders like on his property. Oh wow! Yeah, it's bad. That is bad. How like I don't know how common big, that is. Like how big are they? To that might come up later. I don't know. But it didn't. Uh oh no 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 no! It did say they're like three inches long. The okay. body. So decent size spider. <laughs> yeah. 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 I have a photo too, which I didn't put in my notes just because it like was scary to look at. Mm, but yeah, yeah. You you're not a big spider fan. I'm really not. Um. Okay, that's pretty pretty big. Here's another one. But that one's kind of like a close-up, but yeah. yeah. I mean, they're very pretty. I mean, it's Yeah, they're colorful. Go. Yeah. Um, yeah, so <laughs> I think I already mentioned this, but Joro spiders are part of a group of spiders known as orb weavers because of their highly symmetrical circular webs. Though they are venomous like most spiders, the venom poses no threat to humans, thank goodness, or dogs or cats unless they're allergic. Um. And it says that the spiders, like, even though they can tr might try to bite you, the bite's not really strong enough to break through the skin, really. So it's just kind oh, of like okay. a nip bite. So, so they're really they're not, not dangerous. they're not a threat, but they are a nuisance, it sounds like. It's more like they're just a nuisance, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, like, this article also mentioned that there's actually a silver lining kind of in this, in that these this type of spider kills off mosquitoes, biting flies, and mm -hmm. invasive brown marmorated stink bugs. Oh, and I, was, I was wondering if it was going to be a, a mosquito killer, but it sounds like it is more than that. And even more than that, yeah. Um, and apparently those stink bugs have no natural predator or had no natural predators and are known for damaging crops. So, like, people are actually like, maybe this is a good thing. It'll be good for the ecosystem. Like, it'll <laughs> well, eat all these, like, invasive stink bugs. So now we have two invasive species balancing each other. <laughs> yeah, I guess as long as they're kind of balancing, but it doesn't sound like anything's, like, stopping this thing Yeah, now. but then this thing needs a predator too, right? Yeah. Maybe that's just people. I don't know, but yeah, um, there. <laughs> yeah, this, that one entomologist that's just murdering as many of them as he can. <laughs> um, so yes, like the scientists think, like it's likely that they're going to keep spreading into similar climate areas. Mm -hmm. so, so we probably won't see them near us then. Yeah, probably not because I think we're probably too far north. Yeah, I would think they'd probably die in the winter. Yeah, yeah. but um, it's just like. They're huge spiders. I don't know. If those were, like, all over my house, I would, like, freak out. Like, I could not handle that. Even if I knew that they weren't dangerous just because of my... Yeah, I know. It's... Yeah. Phobia. Like, right. 
I cannot imagine like my entire porch covered with those, but I would like, I seriously would, would, would probably die of an anxiety attack. Like, oh no. Like, I don't know. We have to keep them out of here. Yeah, we are, yeah. So I hope they don't come to Ohio. Yeah. My next story is technology news. This is from NPR. An original Apple One computer sells for $400,000. Wow. It's a lot of money for an old computer. That probably can't do that anything. That can't do anything. <laughs> um, so the Apple One computer was the first Apple product to be sold, and it cost $666.66 uh in 1976 wait and they did explain that apparently um steve wozniak who was one of the original apple guys yeah really liked repeating numbers oh so so they chose six i mean probably not the you know the three sixes is like yeah oh yeah okay i'm aware (laughs) (laughs) i'm aware of the implications there they chose okay i mean i mean it's probably a combination of repeating numbers plus like the actual cost that they needed to yeah i'm sure that they needed to charge but um (laughs) 45 years later, a still-functioning one, oh, apparently it does still work, oh. uh, has sold for $400,000. I forgot that detail. Um, so John Moran Auctioneers in Monrovia, California, auctioned it off on Tuesday. It's one of 200 Apple One computers that were designed, built, and tested by Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs themselves uh, with help from Patty Jobs and Daniel Kotke. Um, the computer auctioned is known as the Chaffee College Apple One, I guess when there's that few of them, they have special names. Oh, yeah. um, because its original owner was a professor at Chaffee College in Rancho Cucamonga, uh, California. Sounds Whoa. like a made-up place. Yeah, I was um, like, where, that's, oh, that's in the U.S.? Okay. Yeah. Uh, he ended up selling the computer to a student in 1977 so that he could buy an Apple II. Nice. Uh, the student, who remains unidentified, has kept the computer until now. Um, so Apple hmm. Ones came as motherboards with cases, keyboards, and monitors sold separately. Uh, this unit oh. features a case put on by the Byte Shop in Mountain View, California, which was the first store to sell Apple products ever. Oh. So, a lot of history in this That's particular cool. computer. Yeah. Um, also, I thought this was interesting. The case is made of koa wood, uh, one of only six known koa wood cases in existence, according to the auction house. Uh, koa wood is native to Hawaii and was abundant in the 1970s, but has become rarer and more expensive due to cattle grazing and logging hmm. in that area. So it's also cool. the case is like wooden and made out of an extremely uncommon wood now. So, yeah, it's a. Old, well, I've it's learned a real, so much yeah, from this. Like, I wow. Even, it's kind of funny to think that like Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak were literally like building the computers that they were selling. Yeah. Um, this is what it looks like. I love it. Yeah. It's a retro Vintage. Chic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very vintage. Retro chic. Yeah, vintage it's got like a tech. Panasonic CRT monitor on it. Just like a keyboard with the bare minimum number of keys. There's like no no number pad or anything. It's just like <laughs> letters in the space bar. Like it looks like but, a little it looks like a TV, basically. Yeah, it looks like a little here. TV on like a wooden case and then the keyboard's kind of coming out of the case. It's Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting that the base purchase was just the motherboard and then you had to buy the monitor and everything like Yeah, that's the interior of it when you open up the oh. case. Oh, 
it's literally just like a circuit board. That looks like <laughs> it looks so simple. It really I mean it probably was. <laughs> they used to be a lot simpler and transistors used to be a lot bigger. And this was before there was there's no mouse with it, right? I don't think so, no. It's just keyboard commands yeah. only. Yeah, the, I mean at least it didn't come with a mouse. That's cool. I wonder what the what the professor wanted to do with it. Yeah. I don't like know. why did he buy one? Other than just like this seems like a cool new thing. Like, yeah, they didn't say what kind of professor they were, so mm. I yeah, I don't know. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. I like seeing old tech. It's like a that. real piece of yeah. computer history. So pretty neat. Okay, my next story is also technology news. This is another one from sciencealert.com. The headline is, these engineers may have come up with the perfect material for unbreakable screens for like phones and stuff. Ooh. Yeah. As many of us know, smartphones usually have screens that are prone to cracks and damage if you drop your phone or something or even just lightly hit it sometimes in some cases. I've somehow never broken a phone screen before. That's good. And I feel, I, I don't, it seems like everyone I know is just like, I don't know what they're doing with their phones. Like, just, you know, like, throwing them at walls. Okay. <laughs> I have to say, I also have never, like, broken, broken it. Like, I've gotten, like, scratches and, like, little yeah. kind of corner nicks kind of stuff in it before. But I've never, like, broken it. Like, there's a cracks down my hole. Nothing like that. Yeah. I just don't understand so, how people do it. Like, what are you doing with your phone that you're... So, I knew, <laughs> I don't I don't know. I yeah. did know one person that had it in their pocket and, like, leaned up against something. And it must have, like hit it oh there must like like in their pressure point or something on it that just yeah and then they like took it out of their pocket and it was like broken so i was like that's ridiculous that's like so frustrating if that happened (laughs) um but that's the only like specific story that i anecdotal thing that i know i'm not sure yet but i do have a case and a cover on mine so to help protect it but anyway which everyone should do just, yes, everyone should do that. Like, it's, like it's the, not the bare minimum. It'll keep your phone from breaking. It'll keep your phone from breaking. It'll it's an expensive piece of equipment. You don't want it to break. Yeah. Be careful with it. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> Be careful. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, scientists have made um, encouraging progress in de- develop in the past, developing a nanocrystal-based material called lead halide perovskite, or LHP. I don't know if you, if you heard of this ever. No. Okay. Well, it's, a, it's an experimental material okay. um, for use in technology screens um, and also solar panels, actually, um, hmm. because it offers top quality brightness and clarity as well as excellent strength. And it could be fitted to phones, televisions, and laptop screens potentially in the future. This material has been under investigation for a while, but it has a bunch of issues preventing it from widespread, widespread consumer use. For example, it's sensitive to light, heat, and water. They did not go into detail on this, so I don't really know what that means. But it's like it degrades it. Those things degrade <laughs> oh, so, it somehow. So which is like three things all... that all phones come and go. I know. I know like, like light? Like what? <laughs> what are you supposed to keep it in the dark? It's a phone screen. I don't know. But... You just hold it in the sunlight. It just shatters. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like how, does, how is this sensitive to light? What does that mean? They didn't go into detail, so I don't know what yeah, the details maybe are. Maybe like it's burning or something. Oh, yeah, I don't... Or, like, cause, yeah. I don't know. fog up or something, I don't know. It also has a tendency to leak toxic metal ions. <laughs> so not an ideal material <laughs> from what really I'm hearing ideal. so far. Yeah, it's like, why is this the material? But, but like, it has other properties that are, like, really, really good, I guess. So that's <laughs> sure. why people are like, let's try to make this work. <laughs> like, okay. 
This is the first I heard about this. So anyway, so this new research um, that is out recently, uh, the research team figured out a way to wrap or bind the nanocrystals of the material in porous glass, which like stabilized it, like removed those sensitivities to like light and stuff, and okay. also prevented the toxic metal ions from leaching out of it. Which so, seems more important. Yeah. Which seems more, <laughs> which seems more important. But yeah, <laughs> um, so yeah, so they they published on um, this report where they had a prototype that had high stability. Um, it was able to re- retain eighty percent of its luminescence after ten thousand hours of water immersion, which is like okay. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, and they tested the. The toxic metal ions, I guess, and it wasn't like coming out because the glass was like keeping that from happening. Sure. So, yeah. Suppose according to this article, this is like a big deal. Like it's a big leap in like screen technology that if they can figure out how to like make that work, that um material, because it won't like it just won't it won't break. Like, like it's fully it now. It it cannot break. Yeah, I, they didn't say that. I guess they didn't say that. That's, I'm extrapolating to that. Because then, like, my first thought is, like, if it can break in any circumstance, then isn't it going to release toxic <laughs> metal ions again? Like, <laughs> that also was my thought, but uh, they're kind of like because right now it feels it like, like they're it's just not... like we've just wrapped it in this thing, thing. and it's safe now. Oh yeah, like <laughs> it's still in there. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm not a material scientist, so I don't. Yeah, I'm not know, either. But... So <laughs> it's also um, weird that it would like. Wrapping in it, wrapping it in a like transparent material would f- fix the light sensitivity problem. Like the lights still what, getting. I don't understand the light sensitivity problem. <laughs> I don't understand the light sensitivity issue. I wish that they had. Is the glass put like some details polarized or something? Like I don't understand how. How it would is glass? That. Yeah, yeah. Like how is that going to like fix? the heat and water thing? Sure, but the the light can still get there. I don't know. Much smarter people know. than me are working I, on this. So. I don't know. I what I do know is there's a bunch of people working on this, and they're they're gonna they're gonna make unbreakable screens or screens that are like really hard to break. All right, and that's good. <laughs> <laughs> My next story is once again technology news. This is from Engadget. Google made an app to ease communication for people with speech impairments. Ooh. This is kind of like a feel-good technology story. Yeah. Like technology is being used for good. Um, <laughs> As opposed to all the times when we talk about... It being no, used I'm for just, evil, yeah. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, Though some companies have started to make their products work better for people with atypical speech, the most prevalent voice-based services still don't hear them well. Um, But Google announced today, that is Wednesday when we're recording, uh, that it's made a new Android app called Project Relate that could help people with speech impairments communicate more easily with others and the Google Assistant, which is like the Google equivalent of Siri, I think. Mm. Um, So standard speech recognition doesn't always work as well for people with atypical speech because the algorithms have not been trained on samples of their speech. That makes sense. Yeah. Project Relate uses custom models trained on each individual user's speech patterns. Um, when someone first launches the app, it'll ask them to repeat, uh, to repeat a few phrases to create a base model and understand the way that they speak. Um, so then Project Relate can do three different things. 
It can transcribe the user's speech into text that they can then copy and paste or show to people on their screen. Uh, it can read out what the user said in a synthesized voice, and it can communicate with the Google Assistant. So basically gives them a way to more easily communicate with people around them by mm-hmm. just speaking how they speak. Like I think that's I think it's really interesting. I wish they'd gone into more detail about like the actual like algorithms and stuff that yeah. are behind it, but they probably wouldn't because they're probably being protective of those. <laughs> but yeah, it's just yeah, I think that makes sense. I think that's a really it's something that I don't think it's considered a lot as we move to, towards so many technologies that rely on speech mm-hmm. recognition, which yeah. like already isn't that good at recognizing typical speech, much less atypical. So um, it's nice to see that someone is thinking about it and hopefully it's yeah, like hopefully this tooling and stuff is made widely available to like, it's the kind of, it's the kind of thing I want them to like widely disseminate so that other technology can make use of it too. Yeah, for sure. I agree with everything you just said. <laughs> um, <laughs> that seems like a really great technology, and yeah, and they're paying attention to underserved groups of people, and yeah. that's great. Yes, we love to see it. Woo! Okay, my next story is health news. This is from Asahi.com. The headline is, Research Team Develops Vaccine... That kills HIV in monkeys. Yeah, somebody actually has a vaccine. They fixed, they fixed it. Yeah, that's wild. They've done it in monkeys. That's so, and that's where they where it came from originally too. So, like it, it I mean, it's a mutation of simian oh, yeah. virus. I think. I, I yeah. think. I think. It, Don't quote me. It on was that. in. No, there was definitely some kind of, like it was in yeah. prime. I mean, I, th- first, I think that the, right? the way that it got to humans was eating like monkey meat is, I think, the original That's like their way that it theory. jumped from yeah. um, primates to humans. Lots of viruses right. come to humans through <laughs> the consumption of meats yeah. that are contaminated. But mm. yes, so um, uh, this new, a new vaccine technology for HIV has raised hopes for maybe ending the AIDS pandemic. I mean, that's a very grand statement, but, sure. you know, maybe. Mm. So Yasuhiro Yasutomi, the director of the Tsukuba Primate Research Center in Japan, which is the center where they did this research, mm-hmm. um, said that their team's goal is actually to begin clinical testing in humans within five years of oh, this Oh, yeah. Thing. Wow. Like, it's like being, like, fast-tracked. Good. Yeah, it should be. <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> So their research team created this vaccine by mixing genes of a bacterium with genes from a weakened HIV virus. And the bacterium that they used, I guess, like secretes some type of substance that strengthens the immune response, like an immune response, or like it either strengthens it or prompts it or something. Um, The article did not describe that in a lot of detail. I actually tried to look up more information. I didn't really see it. I don't know. I, I didn't spend a ton of time, but like it didn't really describe exactly what they did, but they found some type of like, bacterium DNA and spliced it with the something HIV. And um, in one of the tests that they did, which is the one of the main results, they, they vaccinated seven macaque monkeys with this and then infected them. And six out of the seven just completely, like the virus just completely cleared out of their system. Wow. Yeah. So it was like really promising. That's amazing. Um, and they actually mentioned too, that they think potentially that this could be used as like a treatment too, in addition to a preventative measure. Uh-huh. Um, because it like, like it sounds like what it does is it trains your 
like what a vaccine is supposed to do. It trains your immune system to like recognize that and like attack that virus. Mm-hmm. So even if like you already have it, like it would still, but yeah, so it could still work after the, after the fact, uh-huh. which would be incredible. Yeah. Because that would, that would go even further towards right. like actually ending the epidemic. Exactly. So that's why it was super cool. I was like, this is really exciting. Wow. That's interesting. I, I, because I've heard they're doing some research about like an mRNA based vaccine yes. for HIV as well, which so I don't know all the details about that, but you're right. I did see some notes about that. It's like that's happening in parallel too. Mm-hmm. There's people working on that method. But um, I mean, the more tools we have, the better. Like yeah, like, just like let's try different things all, and see what works the best. All are welcome. <laughs> like, yeah, let's, like, let's figure this out. Like okay, I was kind of th- I was like, it's kind of nice to talk about solutions for some other virus that isn't. Corona. Yeah. <laughs> for once. Like, no kidding. There's other things. Not that obviously Corona, you know, that's still a huge problem, but there's still other, th- other health crises happening in the world, you know, mm-hmm. all at the same time. So yeah. No kidding. This was cool. So yeah, that's, yeah. that is exciting. That is exciting news. Mm-hmm. Especially given that like monkey, um, what is the word that I want? Like, not DNA. Well, maybe. Like, we're not far off. Like, we obviously share, like, a common ancestor yeah. relatively recently. So the fact that it works in monkeys seems pretty promising for it also working yes, in humans. Yes, I agree. Like, there's not a, not a lot of steps between there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. That's exciting. Agreed. Yeah. It's cool. All right. It's time for breaking news. The part of the show where Anthony and I look up stories that just happened today or were just posted today and we read them to you on the fly. Martian ketchup. Ready, set, go. go. All right, I found this on foodandwine.com. Nice. Uh, Arby's is releasing two French fry flavored vodkas. <laughs> One of those headlines where you don't really expect to go where it goes. <laughs> what? Okay. Uh, so, yeah, earlier this year, the sandwich chain expanded its French fry options by adding crinkle cut fries alongside their usual curly fries, which I did not know. I didn't also, know. Also, why would you get anything but the curly fries? But the at curly Arby's? fries are so good They're at Arby's. So good. Um, so now Arby's will be releasing two limited edition vodkas Arby's curly fry vodka and Arby's crinkle fry vodka. <laughs> <laughs> so the curly fry vodka is described as quote a tribute to the mastery of crisp spice curled potatoes and it's distilled with cayenne paprika onion and garlic for a spirit that preserves the distinctive and authentic tasting notes of the of the traditional arby's curly fry okay i should maybe i shouldn't be laughing so hard at this because like that might actually taste good i think it might actually what you just described is like Okay. It okay. Might, it might actually be okay. So, meanwhile, the crinkle the crinkle fry vodka is made with kosher salt and sugar to honor the rich tradition of salted potato shapes. <laughs> I don't know. These descriptions are very strange. I keep. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, the article pointed out like vodka is potato made shapes. made with potatoes. Yeah. Right. And, like, they said they're going to have, like, Arby's signature Bloody Mary recipes that you could make with these. And they seem like they would work in something like like that. Not my drink of choice, but, like... Like a Bloody... Oh, yeah. A Bloody Bloody Mary Mary with, like, a 
paprika and cayenne infused vodka. Yeah, like, that'd be that perfect. Sounds ideal for that kind of drink. And I don't know. So yeah, like when you first hear about it, it's like French fry, French fry. I can't say it. French fry flavored <laughs> vodkas. Like that's insane. But maybe it's not so insane. Um, so if you want to buy them, Arby's says they'll go on sale on arbysvodka.com. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a great name. Uh, at, I have a at, laughing fit like every other sentence noon, you read in this. At noon, I do too, and I'm reading it. At noon <laughs> Eastern time um, on November 18th, followed by a second drop on November 22nd. Um, however, there is some bad news. Uh, they can only be purchased in California, Connecticut, Florida, Idaho, Louisiana, Minnesota, Nebraska, Nevada, Oregon, West Virginia, Wyoming, and the District of Columbia. Aww. So no vodka for us. I was going to suggest oh. a tasting, but... Yeah, I'm like, well, that'd be something different if we, we, had, we did an alcohol alcohol shots of the yeah. Arby's vodka. I have to do it at the top of the episode and see. Yeah, and just see, <laughs> see, how it just see if it affects anything. Um, but yeah, that's uh, the new wow. Arby's vodka. Okay, I'm not... Yeah, okay, so I like your Bloody Mary idea. Although, Their again, Bloody I don't, idea. No, or they, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're I don't right. want to take credit for idea. that because also I, was gonna I, give I do not want Bloody Marys. Or I'm not really, I, I don't. I don't like tomato juice, so. I don't think I've really ever actually had a Bloody Mary. I just always look at them and I'm like, ugh. I've tasted somebody else's once. I was like, nope, this is exactly what I thought it would be and I don't want it. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. Because vodka is also not my liquor of choice. So same. it's just a combination of two things I don't really like. Yeah. <laughs> then, yeah, you shouldn't, you shouldn't drink that. <laughs> I'm trying to think of other things you could put that in, and I don't, I don't know. Like it's like, I feel like there are spicy cocktails that exist besides like the Bloody Mary that that might work with, but I can't think of them off the like top of my head. Like savory cocktails, yeah, they've got to be more savory cocktails? for sure. Yeah. Um, though I've also had like a spicy margarita before that was really good, so I could see it maybe. I don't know if you can no, make a margarita, make a margarita is, with the vodka instead of tequila. I actually think the crinkle cut fry flavor, which it basically just said was like. Salt, salt and, and sugar, sugar. <laughs> that seems very widely applicable. That's true. Yeah, because it's just salt and sugar, which tastes good. I'm honestly on really everything. curious what this what they would both taste like, and I wish they were available in Ohio. But <laughs> no such luck. I have to oh see well, if I can get some contacts in another <laughs> state to, oh, to secretly to ship some. you yeah. this vodka <laughs> or something. Yeah. Okay. By breaking news, I actually also found on ScienceAlert.com. <laughs> this is my third story from there today. I like that website. I don't this know. This episode brought to you by ScienceAlert.com. <laughs> ScienceAlert.com for all your science, science alerts. alerts. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, okay, so they posted something that, I guess there's a new study that actually has suggested that there's an optimal time during the day when you should fall asleep. So this is a little bit different than like how many hours you should sleep, but like when you should sleep. Okay. I and hope a, it's not like during the day. And it's you know, <laughs> and it's one o'clock PM. <laughs> it's like no, no! I knew it. <laughs> it's after lunch, everybody. I knew we I knew should it. have been sleeping. We then. knew it. Um <laughs> The Spaniards no, have figured it out. <laughs> No, it's actually between 10 and 11 p.m. is what they concluded. Oh, perfect. I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'm that's when I go to sleep. Yeah, I do. All right. So it was really interesting. So like I didn't – I kind of just right now just quickly copied like a couple of things. But they basically said that like, you know, everybody's body has this 24-hour internal clock that is the circadian rhythm. And they tried to – okay, well, they said – this is a quote. While we cannot conclude causation from our study – 
our results suggest that earlier or later bedtimes may be more likely to disrupt the body clock with adverse consequences for cardiovascular health. Like that's what they were relating it to. Like they were looking at like cardiovascular outcomes and people's like sleep Hmm. patterns. Okay. And they found a correlation between like better cardiac health and people that fall asleep in that time window. Okay. That's really interesting. That's really interesting too, because I've, there's been a lot of discussion around daylight savings time recently because we obviously just had it. Um, and apparently there is a link to daylight savings time and increased cardiac, um, events. Really? And I wonder if it's, also related oh. to this because like suddenly your bedtime is technically shifted by an mm-hmm. hour and the ideal range here is this hour. Yeah. So I wonder if daylight savings time is actually causing, I mean, there is, there are studies that have shown an increased number of cardiac events because of uh, daylight savings time. I didn't so. know that. I did know that there's more car accidents. Mm-hmm. No, it's literally deadly that we do the, the clock Like shift. it disrupts so many people in so many Not to ways, totally yeah. derail your story. No, it's, just, it's fine. The, the that daylight was really savings the... time of it all is kind of interesting. I yeah. wonder if it does factor into this at all. That's a that's really interesting. It probably, it does. I mean, I, I don't know that, again, like I haven't had time to read like all of the, the, the details, but that sounds like, I don't know, that's just like interesting. It's like immediate mm-hmm. effects of not sleep, of like your sleep being disrupted. Right. Yeah, sleep is so important for your health, like all aspects of your health, like your brain health and I guess cardiovascular too yeah um but yeah so that that's what that's what they found i just thought that was interesting and i was like well that's great because that's when i go to bed <laughs> right yeah <laughs> so i guess, I guess I'm right gonna, um they said that they used data from over eighty-eight thousand participants in the uk to to find this conclusion so i'm like that's a pretty good sample size so yeah that is yeah nice yeah all right well Fun facts. I love a I love a, a news story that tells me to do exactly what I'm doing. Doing exactly what I've been doing. I love that too. It's just like this is what you should do. Like, yeah, perfect. I do that already. I'm already done. Yes, done. Check, <laughs> check, check that one off the list. Yeah. All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening, everybody. We post episodes every Friday, and as always, the links to this week's stories will be in the episode description. You can subscribe to Knickknack News on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash knickknacknews, on Twitter at at knickknacknews, and on Instagram at knickknacknews. All right, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.